0: Hello everybody and welcome you to another episode of the Nailed It Out Throw Podcast. I am Dr. Cole and we are uh, you're tuned into our OITE review series featuring myself and Dr. Spencer Woolwine. And uh, without further ado, we're on basic science. We might as well just go ahead and hop right into it. If this is your first time listening, hit the subscribe button and tell one person. That would really help us get the word out about this. That is what we are working on. And we're also working on a couple other things. But... The time for that and those announcements will be a little bit later. So without further ado, let's go ahead and hop into today's episode. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. Um,
1: what is uh, kind of a little bit of a, a testing of you here, uh, but what property is characterized by a change in deformation as the load on a material is held constant
0: yeah so we'll see if we can we can remember some of the things that you just talked about so this would be like creep and uh a way to like think about this is like if you have a tendon and you hang five pounds off of that tendon you know over i don't know how long i'm not like a scientist scientist let's just say for example over the period of a week um you'll see the deformation. Um, oh, you'll see the deformation of that tendon. So it may be a little bit longer because that, that pound or that stress, that five pound stress is just being there. And this is being consistently there. And so that's going to be that creep. So the strain is going to increase over time with a constant stress. So again, just think of like a tendon or a ligament or something, hand in five or 10 pounds over it. And that's the constant stress. And I, And with time, the, uh, the length of that tendon or that ligament will increase. So the strain will increase, and that's what you call creep. Now, what happens when an, when an increasing rate or a load of magnitude is applied to a viscoelastic um, material? So again, you have this viscoelastic material, and you're, and you're applying, um, uh, and you're increasing the rate or the load of the magnitude um, of, the, of what you're doing to that viscoelastic material.
1: So that uh, it, that's where it starts to turn into more of a stiffer material and uh, its properties can change. And so like, like bone is a perfect, perfect example of this. When you apply a very quick load or a high magnitude over a short period of time, the bone fractures. But if you apply a medium-sized load over a long period of time that's when you start to see the bone deform like in rickets you start to see that like genuverum uh, of the knees and because those kids aren't uh, being like you're not uh, they're not like jumping off of a fence onto the ground to cause that bending that actually happened over a, a long period of time and so Uh, Think about like if you drop a Play-Doh rolled into a ball, um, that will, uh, that short uh, uh, rate of impact on the ground will actually cause that Play-Doh to actually bounce up off the ground. Whereas if you set the Play-Doh on the ground and let gravity work with it, it'll actually deform and form a flat surface on the bottom. That's kind of the the easiest way to, to think about it. So, um, what is noticed when you apply a set change in length to a tendon and measure the change in force over time, like the strain is held constant?
0: Yeah. So this is going to be, um, you know, like that 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 load relaxation, I believe. So, when when you apply a a change in length and then over a period of time the load drops off and the stress decreases over time. So like, I I think of this, like if you are um, stretching your calf muscle or something like that and, and you have it against the wall and you, and you stretch it and you, uh, and you hold it there and you just continuously hold it there for a long period of time. um, The amount of stress there is going to, is going to decrease. That's how you, that's how you are able to stretch some of your muscles. And I believe that's called load relaxation. So when you're stretching your muscles before before and exercising, um, you're using kind of the same, same concept. So you're applying that length, that change in length, that you're holding it there, and you're stretching the muscles out, and you're hoping that it kind of relaxes over time and that stress goes down. It helps decrease injury stretching. Um, so we mentioned this a little bit earlier, but we'll mention it one more time. Uh, What is hysteresis?
1: Uh, So hysteresis is the uh, energy lost as you load and unload a material. So it has a different loading curve compared to an unloading curve. And the area between these two curves is the energy lost um, when it returns back to its original shape. And so that it is a characteristic of viscoelastic behavior, whereas uh, like a purely elastic substance won't have hysteresis because the the loading and unloading of that purely elastic material will follow that exact linear curve of the stress strain uh, curve. Um, So When we're thinking about, uh, our patients and, and how, like you said, like we can counsel them on like in sports med, or we have an athlete or somebody who wants to start doing yoga or something, what, what types of tissues in the body are viscoelastic, viscoelastic and, um, how might that kind of benefit them overall?
0: Yeah, so that's gonna be like tendons and, and bone. You know, those are some I guess kind of the classic uh tissues in the body that's gonna be viscoelastic, may kind of help help uh yeah. those bones or those tissues prevent uh prevent injury. And uh one of the things that we're just again, I mentioned a little bit earlier, but you know, kind of when you think about when you're stretching your calf muscle, you're stretching Uh, whatever part of your your body that is you're putting something and putting it to a a fixed length and then over time you're noticing a decrease in that in that stress Um, that's going to be called load relaxation and that is something that is seen uh, in the body whenever you again whenever you stretch so that's going to be load relaxation now um, what like well you know just kind of trying to give some real life you know real world examples, and we just talked about stretching being um, load relaxation. Uh, what property is noted, you know, for example, when you're treating scoliosis with bracing, you know, what viscoelastic um, property uh, is 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 used or can be seen there?
1: Yeah, I think the one that's probably most applicable is creep. And um, it's not that we are changing the curve with scoliosis and with bracing. Um, But that prevention of worsening is that creep. As the patient grows, their curve is supposed to um, get worse, but that bracing is causing a creep response in response to their growth overall to prevent it from getting worse. So I think that that's the one that most applies to Uh, scoliosis with the uh, thoracolumbar bracing Um, now uh, if that all wasn't confusing enough we're going to start talking about (laughs) anisotropic and isotropic material Um, what is the difference between the two
0: yeah so an isotropic material is going to be um, the material whose mechanical properties are going to be the same, regardless of the force of direction versus anisotropic is going to be the mechanical properties behave um, differently, depending on the force of direction, you know, and, and I think of, uh, oh, I guess that's, that's part of our next thing here. Um uh well i guess i'll let you explain some of this then but so isotropic is going to be a material whose mechanical properties are the same regardless of the direction of the force and anisotropic properties are going to be mechanical properties that behave differently depending on the force direction um so next question i have for you is cortical bone an anisotropic or an isotropic material
1: Cortical bone is uh, anisotropic uh, material, um, meaning that the bone is stronger with axial load rather than like a radial load or radial forces. So, uh, our, our bones can take a lot of impact when we load them uh, axially, like with running, uh, jumping from height. Uh, coming down from skydiving landing with a parachute but it's the it only takes a little bit of radial force to cause a fracture of the femur Um, and cartilage is also anisotropic is in that it's very strong in the axial plane like think of the knee Um, however uh, with shear forces acting on it it is much weaker than it is axially so um uh going forward we're we're still gonna keep reminding you guys about what a young modulus <laughs> is and all of that but what metal has the highest stiffness
0: yep so just like you mentioned a little bit earlier is going to be ceramic so if you look on a uh, Young's modulus, you know, curve or graph or stress versus strain graph, the one with the highest slope is almost almost completely vertical line, but it's not, but it's almost completely vertical. It's going to be ceramic, which is a metal, you know, metal and oxide. And we'll we'll get into that a little bit later. But it's uh, uh, aluminum two O three, um, so it's going to be ceramic. Now, what metal has the closest um, Young's modulus? To cortical bone. And even though, you know, just real quick, even though that it has the closest um, E to cortical bone, it's still very, like very different, like over, I forget how many times higher it is. Um, I think my answer here is wrong. I think it's, I don't think it's stainless steel. I think it's titanium. But anyways, what, what metal has the closest E to cortical bone?
1: Uh, yeah, that will be titanium. Um, and that's why, a lot of implants are made out of titanium or at least a titanium alloy is that it's light, uh, it's corrosion resistance, but it also is very similar to bone in terms of its Young's modulus. But, uh, yeah, like you said, um, the, uh, basically, um, going going a little bit further into Young's modulus. Young's modulus is it's constant and it's different for each material. And the relevant uh, moduli, which are uh, measured, I I can't remember exactly what it is, but if I think it's like Pascals or something, Um, they're uh, basically uh, cortical bone has a measurement of 18. And that is the constant for that material and titanium is 115 so it's about six times the uh, strength or the stiffness of bone but it's the closest that we have in terms of a metallic implant whereas stainless steel has a measure of 240 and ceramic is around 300 so um by by saying it's close to cortical bone it's not really but it's the closest in terms of uh biologically friendly corrosion resistant metals we have for implants um and then uh so uh, this is another this is actually probably one of the more important uh topics for material science is being able to recognize which materials are more stiff and less stiff and throughout your five years in residency you will have a question that oh yeah that asks you um list the orders list the order of the materials that are most stiff to least and then you'll have stainless steel pmma cortical bone titanium. No, that's wrong. Ceramic, blah, 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 blah. And then it'll just list it off and you have to choose the one that has the right listing. So, um, out of a few examples, what, what are some that are highest to lowest stiffness?
0: Yeah. So we've already said the highest is going to be ceramics. So, you know, if it's, if ceramics is not listed the highest, then, you know, then, then that's, uh, then that's not the correct answer. And then we also said titanium was closest to bone. So if it doesn't say titanium next to bone, uh, you know, that's the wrong answer. So the ones in between that you have ceramics is going to be, um, the highest modulus of elasticity or the stiffest. Um, and then after that would be, um, stainless steel, um, and then after that, it's going to be titanium. So stainless steel is going to be stiffer than titanium. Okay. Um, and then the alloy uh, is, is stiffer than stainless steel. So I think I might've just misspoke. So the highest or the most stiff is going to be ceramics. And then you have the alloy of the uh, cobalt, um, cobalt chrome alloy, which is going to be um, cobalt uh, chromium and marble indium uh, after that is going to be stainless steel. And then after that is going to be titanium and then cortical bone. So after cortical bone, you'll have like matrix polymers and PMNA, polyethylene, cancellous bone, and you, all the way down to cartilage. But again, to repeat that, you have ceramics, uh, which is going to be the highest. Then you have that cobalt chrome alloy, which is cobalt, chromium, and molybdenum. Then you have stainless steel, then you have titanium, and then you have cortical bone right there in the middle. And then lower than cortical bone are going to be like those matrix polymers, the PMMA, the polyethylene, the cancellous bone, tendons and ligaments, and then cartilage finally. Um, I know I just briefly mentioned and through the term alloy out there, but what is an alloy?
1: Uh, that's when two or more metals are used to, Uh, make up a substance and uh, it's useful because you are able to get some of the mechanical properties from all of the different metals combined into one Um, because a pure metal can typically be weak and soft like a like pure uh, like I think it's pure gold is actually fairly malleable whereas a gold alloy Uh, can be strengthened uh, by adding in the material properties of other elements in there. And so uh, an alloy is, uh, like when we say it's a titanium alloy, titanium might be the majority component of it, but it's also strengthened or uh, altered with other metals to make it what it is. Um, And so what are the main alloys? Because... I mean, I got asked this today in clinic actually. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, by a patient. I mean, they didn't. They weren't sitting there like, "What are the three main <laughs> alloys used in orthopedics?" But, uh, for whatever reason, patients want to know what their implants are made out of. They want to know, "Oh, are you using titanium, or are you using this or that?" Because they have access to the internet. They'll Google it. They'll see, "Oh, cobalt chrome or titanium," and I I don't know what they're going to do with that information, but they will ask what, what are your components made out of?
0: Yeah. And then, you know, sometimes, um, well, I mean, we'll have some patients that'll ask that and then they'll say, well, they have a, a, a really bad nickel allergy and they had surgery before with an implant, um, that was placed that had you know nickel in it, and they had a, a bad reaction to that. So it is good to know what you're implanting into people's bodies, especially if you're you know you're operating on them. And uh, I know I've been asked this question by a patient. Oh, oh yeah, what's that nail made of? And I'm like, ah, you gotta figure out what it is if you don't know off the top of your head. So, um, but anyway, so some common alloys are uh, very three types of common alloys seen so you know orthopedics. We have steel, which is going to be iron based. Then you have a cobalt-based alloy and then a titanium-based alloy. Um, so we said steel, which is that iron-based alloy. But what is 316L stainless steel made from? I've seen this asked.
1: Uh, yeah. And I, I, I don't know exactly what year in residency this was, but um, but I was sitting next to one of my co-residents. His name's Ed Salazar and he's probably one of the smartest people I've ever met. But, um, he just, he just popped that off one day where he was like, Oh yeah, it's three sixteen L stainless steel. And I was sitting there just like, (laughs) what the hell are you talking about, man? I didn't even know it was made out of steel yet. You know, like the exact steel that it's made out of. But, um, I did a little bit of research later that day and it turns out 316L steel is the medical grade steel that uh is used and uh for those of you that get a lot of cooking ads on social media for cooking products like new knives that are coming out they make those knives out of 316L stainless steel because it's very strong and it's basically a combination of uh iron, carbon, chromium, nickel, molybdenum, manganese, and the carbon is in there to add strength. And then the chromium, it enhances corrosion resistance. And it's uh, because it can be susceptible to pitting and crevice corrosion, uh, like we know about with other steel is that it rusts. And this stainless steel does not rust because of the additives in it. Um but uh what is cobalt alloy made out of?
0: Yep. So this is going to be cobalt which is 70% cobalt and then chromium which is 27%. So most of this alloy is really cobalt and chromium and you just uh mentioned kind of chromium helps um against that corrosion resistance uh, and then cobalt is a very is very strong and you also have um uh, molybendum so cobalt alloy is going to be cobalt seventy percent chromium twenty seven percent and uh, molybdenum. And then again, cobalt cobalt chrome um, is a uh, very strong implant, as we touched about a little bit earlier. Uh, we said that ceramics was the strongest, and then cobalt chrome alloy is the second strong, not strongest. I'm sorry, stiffest. Ceramic is the stiffest, and um, cobalt chrome is going to be uh, the Second stiff is followed by stainless steel, titanium, and then cortical bone. Um, we have threw this word around um, a couple of times here, thrown this word around a couple of times here, but what is corrosion?
1: Ah, uh, Yes, we're going to get into the corrosion. So corrosion is <laughs> oh, yeah. essentially uh, broken down to its most basic is just a chemical dissolving of metals that, we see in real life with battery corrosion, um, but you can also see it in the body. And uh, that corrosion can then cause metallosis. Uh, just yesterday, I, we did a revision total hip on a uh, persistently dislocating uh, total hip. And uh, he had severe corrosion of the uh, trunnion for the femoral component and literally everything every soft tissue portion of his hip was like this dark gray greenish material from the metallosis and Jeez. so this this happens for sure it's unfortunate and we try everything we can to prevent it but it does happen and so um What, and and these questions will be asked too. So so the corrosion stuff is important and the Young's modulus of elasticity is also important, but for corrosion, uh, knowing the different types is important. So what is the type of corrosion that occurs when there is a depletion of oxygen inside a small crack or gap that eventually converts the metal inside the gap to a cathode?
0: Yeah, so that's going to be literally the definition of crevice corrosion. Um, And this type of corrosion can occur between two metals or between a metal and a non-metal. So again, this crevice corrosion, this occurs when there's a depletion of oxygen inside a a small crack or or a gap or, for lack of better terms, a crevice, which eventually converts that metal um, inside the gap to a cathode and it later on um, undergoes. Uh, uh, corrosion. And uh, 316L stainless steel is going to be the most susceptible um, to this type of corrosion, to crevice corrosion. And titanium is going to be the least uh, susceptible to crevice corrosion. So that's another thing to note. So again, 316L um, stainless steel is going to be most susceptible to crevice corrosion. Now, continuing forth, what type of corrosion occurs when there is an electrochemical process where one metal corrodes in preference to another metal that it is in contact with through an electrolyte, through some type of medium or through, you know, through whatever, through an electrolyte. So, again, what type of corrosion occurs when there is an electrochemical process where one metal corrodes in preference to another metal that is in contact, um, that it is in contact with through an electrolyte.
1: And that, yeah, I mean, it's the definition of galvanic corrosion and um, galvanic corrosion, uh, just like said in the uh, uh, question stem is dissimilar metals uh, lead to electrochemical destruction and um, it, obviously, in order to have galvanic corrosion, or I guess it's not the only way because you can still have galvanic corrosion between similar metals but if you are mixing metals so if you have a 316l stainless steel component and a cobalt chrome head component um, or for whatever reason you have a stainless steel plate and cobalt chrome screws I get it that's that's not real but just for the purposes of getting this uh, kind of topic hammered home and and understanding when you have two dissimilar metals and they are in contact with each other one will act as the anode one will act as the cathode and cause a corrosion in the more corrosion susceptible uh, materials and again these can be reduced by using a similar metal because when you use similar metals in contact with each other you Uh, don't have one metal being the anode while one metal is being the cathode. But uh, even when you use similar metals, you still are at risk for other things like crevice corrosion and fretting and all of that uh, other stuff. So uh, uh, moving on, what is the type of corrosion seen when uh, there's uh, material deterioration occurring at the interface of two contacting surfaces due to very small microscopic oscillatory movement.
0: Yeah, so this is going to be fretting corrosion, and which is uh, often seen in devices with tapered junctions, like you know when you think of hip arthroplasty, or joint arthroplasty, where you have these uh, different junctions where there again is micro motion or you know little small oscillatory movements between these two metals and you get corrosion that's going to be fretting corrosion and titanium is going to be susceptible to this fretting corrosion. And if you remember about titanium a little bit earlier, we said that titanium is good against crevice corrosion, which, we're, which is when there's a depletion of oxygen inside of a small crack or a gap that eventually converts the metal inside of the gap to a cathode. We said that titanium was the least susceptible to crevice corrosion, but this is, is something different. This is fretting corrosion. Uh, which is seen again when two contacting surfaces um, have small oscillatory movements and then the material deteriorates. And so that is going to be fretting corrosion, which is often seen in devices with tapered junctions. Now, continuing on this corrosion train, uh, what type of corrosion is the most severe form of corrosion where there is damage to the metals? Uh, to the metal uh, or you know cavities or holes are kind of produced in the in the material and possible release of metal ions
1: uh and this is one that i always confused with uh crevice uh corrosion and it's pitting and to me i was like pits form a crevice forms what's the difference i i don't really know but basically um when uh these when the metal uh, i i believe that pitting corrosion causes these cavities and holes in a metal whereas crevice corrosion already has a small gap or, uh, crack in the metal itself that causes this oxygen tension. I'm not the expert to ask about the main difference between those, but, um, the, the best way to figure this stuff out for a test is, uh, if it talks about oxygen depletion or a change in oxygen tension, go with crevice but if, it, if they bring up a question that talks about a corrosion where cavities or holes or pits are formed in the material, go with pitting corrosion and not crevice corrosion. So that, that's the easiest way I can think about the difference between those. But outside of that, I wouldn't be able to really truly give an educated explanation of what the, the main differences are. Unfortunately, unless you, you're able to to highlight that a little bit.
0: Well, uh, I can say I'm probably cheating a little bit here. I just <laughs> pulled up some more things uh, that goes a little bit in, in, in detail here. you know. So I'm reading off, uh, it seems like this is kind of this little physics site. And with crevice corrosion, um, it's similar to pitting corrosion. Uh, but crevice corrosion is initiated with the breakdown of, for example, stainless steel's protective oxide film and continues with the formation of shallow pits. However, rather than occurring in plain sight, crevice corrosion, as its name uh, implies, uh, occurs in crevices. Um, and then, so the have for, for pitting uh, corrosion is that pitting corrosion occurs when the protective uh, oxide layer on the surface of stainless steel breaks down, allowing the bare metal underneath to become susceptible to a loss of electrons <laughs> through oxidation in the presence of uh, corrosive aqueous solution and this electrochemical reaction initiates the formation of a small cavity or pit yeah i don't know if that further confused everybody there but um you know we will we'll continue on but just know when you're uh, when you're doing the exam and just like you just said if you see somewhere we're saying you know depletion of oxygen small gap or crack just go with crevice and hopefully you can use the, you know your exam taking skills to uh, differentiate between galvanic and fretting and pit and pitting hello everybody and thank you for listening to yet another episode of the nailed it podcast i hope you all are still enjoying this we have been releasing these basic sciences back to back to back to back kind of like a season like a season of law and order not law and order but a season of something that is kind of what this is Um, Hopefully you can at least listen to this once before you take the OITs, which are pretty much this week. So um, without further ado, let's go ahead and hop into the next episode. I'll see you next time.